Well, the left is out to kill Captain America. First, it was the internet campaign we talked about earlier this week to make Captain America gay. A ridiculous, stupid, moronic hijacking of a popular American icon who was originally designed for children and teens in order to serve the left's pathetic agenda. Now, the editors at Marvel themselves have announced that they're going to make clear that Captain America is a bad guy. And he always was. According to Time Magazine, Captain America Steve Rogers number 1 will make clear that Captain America supports the Nazi-founded organization Hydra and that he was always a double agent. Marvel executive editor Tom Brevoort explained, quote, It means on the most fundamental level that the most trusted hero in the Marvel Universe is now secretly a deep-cover Hydra operative, a fact that's really only known to the readers and to him. That makes every interaction he has with anyone take on a second layer, a second meaning. So what drove all of this? According to Time, having Cap talk openly about the threat of Muslim immigration to Europe and illegal immigration to America's borders, that makes him ripe for Hydra. Here's Brevert again. He says, quote, We try to write comics in 2016 that are about the world and the zeitgeist of 2016, particularly in Captain America. Any parallels you've seen to situations real or imagined, living or dead, is probably intentional, but metaphorically, not literally. Brevert goes on to say that Captain America, the face of patriotism, is turning evil because, quote, we want to push that button. He says there should be a feeling of horror or unsettledness at the idea that somebody like this can secretly be part of this organization. There are perfectly normal people in the world who you would interact with on a professional level or a personal level, and they seem like the salt of the earth. But then it turns out they have some horrible secret, whether it's that they don't like a certain group of people or have bodies buried in the basement. So, folks, this is what happens when the original values for which Captain America stood, American pride and patriotism, defense of constitutional liberty, become unpopular with the left. They have to do one of two things. Either they have to make Captain America a leftist or gay or make clear that he was a villain all along. Because America must either be converted to leftism or we were the villain all along. As Brevard says, quote, Captain America, because he's draped head to toe in the flag, has more of a larger symbolic meaning than many other characters in an allegorical fashion. You want to make his adventures about where America is and where the world is. So here's the problem. The left can't play this game indefinitely. Turns out most Americans don't like the idea of a patriotic Captain America as a Hydra villain. They don't think America is historically evil. They don't think patriotism is evil or that pointing out threats of benighted Islamic cultures make you a Nazi. And they're not going to keep patronizing movies or comics where the bad guy is America or where traditional good guys become bad guys just because they stayed the same. So... Watch for Marvel to twist this storyline back into place and will make Cap the hero again. But not before he learns, of course, that he should be more of a leftist than the traditional right-winger he always was. That's how they play the game. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. All righty, so here we are. Donald Trump is, is doing his, his campaign charm offensive, and it's working. Donald Trump is, is really good at, a, at several things that have to do with campaigning. Campaigning, since it basically is one year and a half, two year long reality show, benefits people who know how to work the camera. Trump clearly knows how to do that. So he, he's on Jimmy Kimmel last night, and he's very good at this. He's very good at this. So here's Donald Trump with Jimmy Kimmel on ABC, and, uh, and Jimmy Kimmel asks him about debating Bernie Sanders. He, here's the question from Bernie. He asked, Hillary Clinton backed out of an Hillary Clinton backed out of an agreement to debate me in California before the June 7th primary. Right. Are you prepared to debate the major issues facing our largest state and the country before the California primary? Yes or no? He wants to know if you will debate. Yes, him. I am. How much is he going to pay me? Uh, you, you would, you would do it for a price. What would yeah, the price be? Yeah, because if I debated him, we would have such high ratings, and I think I should give. Take that money and give it to some worthy charity, okay? So if it was done for charity... 
that. If we paid, if we paid a nice sum I would, toward a charity, I would love to do that. Oh, interesting. What if the network put up the money and then you guys that came in? That could happen and, also. That could in fact, happen. I've been saying that should happen anyway. You know, when we did the Republican debates, the Fox had 24 million people, the largest in the history of cable television. CNN, three weeks later, had 23 million people, the largest in the history of CNN. Think of it. CNN, with all the wars and all the things they cover, for, it's the largest audience they've ever had. The largest audience ever on cable was Fox a couple of weeks before. And I must say, you know, I think I had a lot to do with that, okay? But, but <laughs> I said, why aren't we getting paid for this? And give the money to charity. And I actually, as you know, I've been saying this for a long time. Get paid, give the money to charity, pick good charities, and give the money to charity. Okay, so there he is. It's just ridiculous. And, uh, and, and, and he's, you know, what he's saying here, that he'd b debate Bernie Sanders if they give the money to charity. First of all, Donald Trump just had to be shamed into giving money to charity from the event where he skipped the, the Fox News debate. But, but this is good TV. It's good TV, and he's very good at this. Now, what's funny is that he says he'll debate Sanders. Sanders immediately comes back and says, yes, I will for sure debate Donald Trump. It's a win-win for both of them is the truth. It's a win for Donald Trump to debate Bernie Sanders if he can even mildly hold his own because Bernie Sanders isn't going to be the nominee. So what exactly is the cost? Right? He elevates Bernie Sanders at Hillary's expense. He makes Hillary look like a coward. And then he goes out there and he invades against this 73-year-old socialist. It's wildly entertaining, big ratings. He doesn't look ter terrible to his own side. Bernie Sanders looks good to his own side. Trump maybe even wins over some Sanders voters. Like It's a good move for Donald Trump to do this. Naturally, within 24 hours, he's walking this back, and now his campaign says, oh, it was all a joke from the beginning. And so now we're hearing kind of conflicting rumors at this hour. Was it a joke? Was it not a joke? I mean, it's pretty clear from that tape it's not a joke, but it doesn't matter. This is Trump's charm offensive, and it's working. So, for example, here is and, – and the charm offensive means that he's now pandering to all the people who watch ABC, which means he's pandering to the left. So Donald Trump is good at this when it comes to TV. He's also somebody who conservatives should, should know is not going to stand up for their values. So here's Donald Trump asked by Jimmy Kimmel about the transgender bathroom issue, a very easy moral issue. Men should not be using women's restrooms. Women should not be using men's restrooms. And here's Donald Trump shying away from the controversy altogether. But well, would you say, larger. though, if you were voting personally or a member of, in New York State that you would vote for the, the, that right? Well, the party generally believes that whatever you're born, that's the bathroom you use. Well, okay? what about you? And what me, I say, let the states decide. And I just would, say, let the states Do you personally decide. support it? I think you uh, do. What I support, no, what I support is let the states decide. And I think the states will do, hopefully, the right thing. And what's the right thing? I don't know yet. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. It's a, it's a very, it's a very uh, It's the stupidest subject. thing to be focused on. No, don't no, we I have mean, much world, bigger the problems? The world is blowing apart and... Yes. You know, lots of bad things are happening and a lot of, but you know what? It's something has to be discussed, but I say let the states decide. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. I'll take you. No, I'll give you an N.A. on that one. And then he gets big applause for that, right? He's very good at this, but notice there's a very clear answer here. He won't give it because he knows that Kimmel won't like it. And Kimmel there knows how Trump feels about this, which is that he doesn't care if men are using ladies' bathrooms or vice versa. He thinks that that's a... He, I mean, Kimmel lets him off the hook right there in a way he never would with Ted Cruz or Carla Fiorina or any of the other Republican politicians. This is the draw of Trump. Trump has this magnetic appeal. He's terrific on television. It's also true the media are treating him with kid, kid gloves, and you can see that from Kimmel there. See, I think you do, right? I mean, he's actually feeding him the lines. Kimmel's feeding him the lines. So Kimmel's feeding him the lines from the left. Sean Hannity's feeding Trump the lines from the right. It makes Trump a very powerful personality here. And... Trump is really good at this. Again, here's Donald Trump talking about Hillary Clinton. In 2008, but, I want to get this right. You yeah. said you thought Hillary would make an excellent president. And yeah. as recently as 2012, you said you thought she was terrific. 
What did she do? Well, what let, happened? let me just explain to you. Yeah. I will, I will tell you. Uh, when I'm a businessman, I had a beautiful story recently where they said Trump is a world-class businessman. All over the world, we're doing jobs. I speak well of everybody. If people ask me about politicians, I speak well. So when they ask me about Hillary, she's wonderful. The hus- Everybody's wonderful. And that's the way it is, and including contributions. They ask me for contributions, I give contributions. So you were full of when you said it. And, and, and Trump goes right along with it because he's good at this, right? And Kimmel hits him, but it's, but it's a soft hit. So you're full of this when you said it. And Trump goes, yeah, basically. Yeah, basically. This is the beauty of playing a role like Donald Trump does. There's this beautiful symmetry to, to, to playing Donald Trump's role. Donald Trump does the clown nose on, clown nose off routine that Stephen Colbert and Jon Stewart did when they were on Comedy Central. When they say something that's a lie or something that's untrue or something that's vicious, it's because they were joking or they just weren't being serious. And when they say something that's serious, then you have to take it seriously because the clown nose is off. So, but they get to decide post facto whether they were being a clown or whether they weren't being a clown. Here Donald Trump says, now I'm not being a clown. This moment I'm being serious. But four years ago when I said all this about Hillary, then I was being a clown, right? Then I was just, then I was just fibbing because that's what you have to do as a business person. He does it some more right here. Again, all of this is really good TV. Trump is great at this. He's great at this. So what it comes down to is do you trust Trump, really? Because in the end, if he's elected on the basis of this, of this sort of campaigning, you have to trust that deep in his heart, he's a guy who's going to do stuff for you as opposed to being who he's always been, a guy who does stuff for Donald Trump. Here is Trump talking about how he uses aliases. And again, notice how he's able to get away with all of this easily, right? Any other candidate gets smacked over this. Trump is able to get away with it. But to me, it sounded just like you. Really? Is yeah. It? 30, years, 30 years? And if it was you, I think it was a very funny thing to do, to call a guy and take him through the ringer Well, you know, over the years, I've used alias. And when I'm in real estate, and especially when I was out in Brooklyn with my father and I'd want to buy something, and honestly, nobody knew who Trump was at that time. Nobody knew me, so it wasn't so much so important. But I would never want to use my name because you had to pay more money for the land. If you're trying to buy land, you use different names. What names do you use? I would use, I actually used the name Barron. And I ended up using my son because I made a very good deal using that name. I used an alias in terms of setting up a meeting with Mr. Donald Trump. And it was, and many people in the real estate business do that. You use alias and, and you have to, frankly. Uh-huh. Otherwise they find out it's you and they charge you more money and nobody wants to pay more money. Okay, this is the Trump charm offensive. Now notice, he basically just admitted again that he lied when he used the, the fake voice before, right? He says, it wasn't me, I didn't use the fake voice. He, and Kimmel goes, I think it was you. And I think it was really funny when you did it. And Trump basically goes, yeah, I, I do that kind of stuff a lot. And he just flips on it because Kimmel likes him, but he's able to get away with it. And all of this is good for any Republican candidate. I mean, if if Mitt Romney had been able to get away with this, he might be president now. Trump is quality at this. There's just no doubt about it. He's really, really good at this in a way so many other people aren't. He's funny. He's amusing. He's entertaining. All of this is true. All of this is true. And it's, you know, all of that said, all of that said, you know, you, you really have to trust that he's going to be the guy who he pretends to be during this campaign. Now, what's interesting is that Trump is Trump's benefiting from two things. One, he's charming and he's funny on TV and he gets away with all of that. And on the other hand, he's running against a left so out of their minds that everything that he does is is basically him just pushing buttons. So he's pushing buttons on the left by being funny and entertaining, and he's pushing buttons on the right just by pushing buttons. So he's doing it on the basis of contrast. President Obama is abroad right now. He's over in Japan. And President Obama started, took the time to rip Donald Trump, say that Donald Trump was not interested in keeping America safe. Here's President Obama. They are paying very close attention to this election. Uh, I think it's fair to say that they are surprised by the Republican nominee. Uh, 
they are not sure how seriously to take uh, some of his pronouncements, uh, but they're rattled by him, uh, and for good reason, because a lot of the uh, proposals that he's made uh, display either ignorance of world affairs or uh, a cavalier attitude or um, uh, an interest in uh, getting tweets and headlines instead of actually thinking through uh, what it is that uh, uh, is required to keep America safe and secure and prosperous and what's required to keep uh, the world on an even keel. Okay, so what's interesting about what Trump, what, what Obama says, a couple things. One, He's ripping Trump for being a reality star. Obama is a reality star, right? He's a guy who does interviews with people in bathtubs full of Fruit Loops. Like he actually did that. He's, he's with the with the lady, the Glozell, the lady who bathed in Fruit Loops. He did an interview with her. He does this kind of stuff all the time. He was just in Vietnam, where he did an episode of Anthony Bourdain eating six dollar noodles with Anthony Bourdain. He is a reality TV star, so it just doesn't wash. But the second thing that's interesting there is the way that Obama talks about foreign affairs. He sounds like he's putting the rest of the world before America. He talks about everybody else's reaction to the United States. And then he says, Trump doesn't do what's necessary to keep America safe. By the time he gets to that, it's an afterthought. Right? By the time he arrives at Trump isn't going to keep America safe, it's an afterthought. He starts with all of these other people around the world don't like Trump and they're rattled by Trump. And Trump came out today and he says, well, maybe it's good that they're rattled by me. Maybe it's good. So you have on the one hand President Obama, and then on the other hand, you have Trump who's trying to create a sense of loyalty and trust in him. And Obama and his, and his ilk make it easier because Obama is out there saying that all these other countries don't like, don't like Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is out there saying, well, I'm the ultimate patriot, and that's really why they don't like me. So watch how clever this is. Donald Trump was at his rally last night. And at this rally last night, he's told that there was no time for the national anthem. Watch how he responds. This is so clever. I got here. And they all said, we have a great crowd. We don't have time for the national anthem. I said, yes, we do. We have time for the national anthem, right? And we have a young lady that is going to sing. And I said, what are you doing? She said, well, I was supposed to sing, but they had time because of the television cameras. They couldn't do it. I said, guess what? We're going to do the national anthem, okay? So Sherry Wilkins, come up. Sherry, come on, Sherry. Okay, and then they sing the national anthem, right? This is, this is great campaigning. It's smart campaigning, and it's, again, drawing this natural distinction between people who believe America comes first and the people like Obama who don't believe America comes first. Now, the problem is that, that Donald Trump's brand of nationalism is utterly unmoored from the Constitution of the United States, and we'll get to that in a second. But when he's running against a left that clearly doesn't care about America's future and he poses himself as the America first guy, it's very, very smart. This is all very smart campaigning by Donald Trump. And meanwhile, Hillary Clinton continues to prove over and over again that she has no capacity to put America first. She puts herself first, and she does it very clearly. I think Trump, by the way, puts himself first, too, but he, he wraps himself in the flag while he does it. So Donald Trump at his rally last night, he says, crazy Bernie is right. Hillary Clinton is in trouble because of this new inspector general report, which I'll go over in just a second. And we have a person running for office who is not equipped to be president. She doesn't have the temperament to be president. She's got bad judgment. She's got horribly bad judgment. And that was stated by none other than crazy Bernie. I mean, Bernie, Bernie said, Bernie said that Hillary Clinton has bad judgment. Now, if you look at the war of Iraq, if you look at what she did with Libya, which is a total catastrophe, and by the way, 
And by the way, with Benghazi and with our ambassador, remember, we, that's all Hillary Clinton, folks. Let me tell you something. If she wins, and I hope she doesn't, but if she wins, you better get used to it because you'll have nothing but turmoil and you'll have nothing but four more years of Obama and you can't take that. Our system and our country can't take right. it. Right. Our system and our country can't take it. America first. These people are not pro-America. Now, it's true. Hillary isn't, right? Hillary is about Hillary first and foremost. So there's this new inspector general report that's out from the State Department. And I went through it yesterday. It's about 83 pages long. And I went through it. And basically, this report says that Hillary is a giant liar, that she created her private email server for her own personal protection, not for any other reason. So, for example, the report says in November 2010, Secretary Clinton and her deputy chief of staff for operations discussed the fact that Secretary Clinton's emails to department employees were not being received. The deputy chief of staff emailed the secretary, quote, we should talk about putting you on state email or releasing your email address to the department. In response, Hillary wrote, quote, let's get separate address or device, but I don't want any, any risk of the personal being accessible, meaning she doesn't want anybody at the State Department to have access to emails that she doesn't want them to have email access to. The, to. So she, she wants to control her entire email output. By the way, the IG also reports that all emails from Hillary Clinton, all emails from Hillary Clinton between January 21st, 2009, when she became Secretary of State, and April 12th, 2009, have disappeared. All of the ones that she sent in that initial three-month period, they're gone, right? They're just gone. And she also claimed, by the way, that she used a BlackBerry for convenience. She was told that she couldn't. She continued to do it anyway. She said she was cleared by the State Department to use this personal email server. She was not. The, the Office of Inspector General says openly the secretary never requested or obtained guidance or approval to do any of this. There are legal penalties to all of this. So, so this is all hurting Hillary Clinton, even among people on the left. So Wolf Blitzer has on one of Hillary's spokespeople about her emails. And here is Hillary's spokesperson. Uh, who's, who's trying to explain it away. It looks as if she's got something to hide when she doesn't even want to answer questions from the Inspector General of the State Department. No, well, look, Wolf, if she had anything to hide, uh, she wouldn't be volunteering since last August to go face questions from the Justice Department, where the stakes will be much higher than this State Department IG investigation. And as I said, the appropriateness of the State Department IG's office conducting this review at the same time when the Justice Department was already looking to the same issue is an open question. There were questions raised about this office during the course of its investigation. There were reports about individuals in this office coming forward and suggesting that there were hints of an anti-Clinton bias in that, inside that office. All of that well, added up to... That's interesting. Are you accusing the Inspector General of the State Department of having an anti-Clinton bias. And once again, this Inspector General was named by President Obama. Actually, Wolf, I think the report today backs up much of what we were saying and includes an appropriate amount of context okay. about how widespread the use of personal email okay, was. This is, this is nonsense. The, the report really, really hurts her. And it's clear that even her allies are beginning to look at her and realize that she's corrupt charlatans. Here's the thing about people like me who are not Trump fans. At least we can say we're principled. Folks on the left who back Hillary, they're not principled. And they're not principled at all. Then when they look at people like me and they say, well, you know, your party selected Trump. Yeah, but I didn't. And you people are going to get behind Hillary. Even Hillary's allies are beginning to look at Hillary askance now. Andrea Mitchell over on MSNBC who's a huge Hillary fan. She says that this report is devastating. It was not allowed to not return those records before she left 
the State Department. She violated the Official Records Act according to her own State Department IG appointed by President Obama. The, 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 what you have shown just now, Mika, is completely undercuts the argument she's been making for more than a year. Just as she is trying to persuade voters that she's not untrustworthy. I think that the, the most surprising and in some ways shocking thing is their reaction. Claiming that this is the same as what former secretaries did, the comparison they're making to Colin Powell, the facts are that Colin Powell was the first Secretary of State to ever use email. He used it specifically to try to launch the, the uh, State Department into the new century and try to get people to communicate by email. He was using it as an example. He did use some personal emails. He didn't uh, always uh, separate them, but it was a completely above board. Everybody in the State Department knew what he was doing. It was not, in fact, violating a rule that was put in place under Clinton, not, well, not after she left. I mean, this is what's amazing. So, so Andrea, Mitchell, and she Andrea Mitchell is ripping Hillary up and down. This is a site you never thought you would see, right? Hillary is so corrupt that even Andrea Mitchell is ripping her up and down. CNN's Dana Bash doing the exact same thing, saying this scandal really, really hurts Hillary Clinton. This feeds directly into the narrative that her opponents, uh, Bernie Sanders on the Democratic side and ultimately uh, Republicans led by Donald Trump uh, in a general election, uh, will be hammering her on. And, and in politics, it is the existing narrative and the ability by uh, opponents to feed into that that is the most damaging. Okay, and this is totally correct. This is totally correct. So juxtapose these two things. Hillary Clinton, bad on TV, not personable, not interesting, not funny, and totally self-absorbed with Donald Trump, who's going out there at the beginning of his giant rallies and saying that he wants to sing the national anthem even if there's no time, and he's going out on national TV and he's saying that we should give money to charity if you want to debate me, let's give money to the poor people. It's, it's a bad juxtaposition for Hillary Clinton, and the bad juxtaposition keeps getting worse because the protesters in favor of Hillary and Bernie Sanders keep doing things that make Trump look good. So, I mean, for example, here's a piece of tape. You're about to see a, an anti-Trump protester dump water on a Trump fan. Only one, one well, the two issues, one dumping water on it. Number two, the, this Trump fan happens to be in a wheelchair. Our cameras caught someone throwing water at a Trump supporter passing by in a wheelchair. A man shouted back, asking officers to help him out. These people have no clue what really goes on, I guess. They're even going to lie to themselves about what they just did to a handicapped person who has a right to rally for the other side. And this is totally right. This is totally right. So this is why Trump is doing well. Now, all of that said... It's important to recognize that Trump's brand of nationalism, his brand of patriotism, is an empty vessel. It's an empty vessel into which he can pour any policy he wants. So long as he wraps himself in the flag, everybody says, well, at least he's wrapping himself in the flag. At least he likes the flag, as opposed to Hillary and her ilk. We've now got politics for third graders, right? It's, 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 two, op it's two opposing parties, and you have to buy into one of them. Otherwise, you're a traitor to the cause. There's only one problem, okay? Donald Trump is, is again, he's still unpalatable, and I, I don't... Listen, I don't want to hammer this home, but I'm, but every day I'm going to call it like I see it. That's what you're going to get here. I'm going to call it like I see it. I was asked yesterday by somebody, why don't you just tone down the criticism of Trump now that it's a general election? Don't you want Hillary to lose? You hate Hillary. I hate Hillary. I also think that Trump is a bad guy. And I'm going to call it like I see it. That's my my obligation here. You, I actually will give you both sides. You get to decide. If you think that that Trump is too bad to vote for, that's your decision. That's been my decision, is that I don't want him becoming the leader of my ideological movement, which is his goal, as we'll talk about right now. Donald Trump says, by the way, that he wants the GOP to look different now. 
So what does he want the GOP to look like? He says, quote, five, 10 years from now, different party. You're going to have, you're going to have a workers party, a party of people that haven't had a real wage increase in 18 years that are angry. Okay, a workers party. I mean, not to, not to put too fine a point on it, but perhaps the workers of the world should, I don't know, like unite. I mean, all they have to lose is their chains, right? I mean, this is what I've heard. Whenever people talk about a workers' party, typically what they mean is the government coming in and taking money away from some people and giving it to the workers, right? The workers. The idea being that if you're a speculator on Wall Street, if you're a hedge fund manager, if you're a business person, if you're somebody who makes money in finance, if you're a lawyer, if you're a doctor, if you're not a worker, right, then, then you have to be punished because you're not the guy in the Rust Belt. That's what Donald Trump wants to build. And this is what Donald Trump is going to fill this sort of empty patriotism he's got with. And it's empty because Donald, because my patriotism is based on the idea of American exceptionalism. And America's not exceptional because we have different borders or because the land is so great. America's exceptional because of the ideals upon which it was founded. These basic conservative ideas about the nature of man and the nature of government. That's why I'm patriotic. I'm patriotic because I believe that America's founding ideals are the greatest founding ideals ever created for any country in the history of mankind. And that's why I'm an American patriot. Trump doesn't understand those ideals. Trump is just for America because America is where he is. And what's funny is that Barack Obama once said that he believed in American patriotism in the same way that a Greek person probably believes in, in Greek patriotism or a British person believes in British patriotism. Trump actually believes the same thing. He just actually believes that, right? Trump actually believes in the flag and motherhood and apple pie, but he doesn't understand why. He doesn't understand why. And so what that means is that he's taking the content out of conservatism and replacing it with just the, the image of the conservative. He's, he's the face of conservatism, but he's a facade. So here's just some examples of that. Yesterday's rally, he's speaking in Anaheim, and after he does the national anthem routine, which is fine. Again, I like it. I think it's a, I think it's a great piece of theater. I think it's also a good thing to do. You should, start your, you should start big rallies with the national anthem. That's wonderful. And, of course, draws the natural juxtaposition to that famous picture of President Obama supposedly not putting his hand to his heart during the national anthem in the 2008 race, and President Obama's statement he doesn't want to wear a flag pin because he thinks that that's devaluing. Right? He draws that contrast. But here's the real Trump. The real Trump is the guy who says the Republican Party must be transformed into a workers' party. Not that we're going to use our, our, our ideas and appeal to working men and women who need jobs and can only be guaranteed those jobs by a free economy. No, he's going to be the man who stands up for the working class. He's going to make them promises that make your head swim. So first, more, more audio of Donald Trump. We, we've done this before, but Donald Trump is the kind of guy who threatens protesters. So he does that yesterday, but he does it in the way that he always does, the half-joking Donald Trump way. 100%. I get him out of here. Get him out. Get him out. Get him out. Out, 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 out. Don't hurt him. See what I say? Don't hurt him. I say that for the television cameras. Do not hurt him, even though he's a bad person, folks. Bad person. Okay. That's your Donald Trump. That's the guy. Does that sound like basic founding principles of free speech to you? I mean, the implication there is pretty clear, isn't it? He's a bad person. If the cameras weren't there, I might be saying something different. But since the cameras are there, I'll sort of say, okay, well, you know, you know, don't hurt him. I'm saying that just because you guys are watching, but he's a bad person. Okay, the idea don't hurt him, even though he's a bad person. Like once you drop the even though, the rest of it doesn't really matter very much. So that's Donald Trump, same rally. Here's Donald Trump making promises that would make, you remember the Obama phone lady? You remember the Obama phone lady from 2008? 
right? He's going to give me a car. He's going to give me a house. He's going to give me a microwave. He's going to give me all sorts of, he's going to give me a phone. He's going to give me everything. I'm not going to have to work again. Everything is going to be free. Donald Trump is about to make those exact same promises to the people at his Anaheim rally yesterday. Here we go. You're all here legally. You have houses, you have homes. We're going to keep your houses and your homes. You're going to have them forever. And your jobs aren't going to be taken away that by people that are just coming across the border. You don't know where they're coming from. And you don't know where. Okay, and then he continues by saying, he says there, your homes aren't going to be taken away. Your, everything's going to stay the same. Your job isn't going to be taken away. How can he guarantee that? The fact is that these jobs are not being lost to illegal immigrants. Okay, there's not an IT guy who's losing his job to an illegal immigrant. These manufacturers in Ohio aren't losing their jobs to illegal immigrants. They're losing their jobs to global competition. They're losing their jobs to the fact that you can buy the labor cheaper elsewhere. And half the time that labor is cheaper in America down south, right? Not in Ohio. A lot of the car manufacturing jobs aren't in Detroit anymore. They're now in Mississippi and Alabama. That's where these factories are now being built. But there he is making promises you can't possibly keep. You're going to keep your house. When was the last time an illegal alien went to somebody's house, threw them out of their own house, and then just sat there? That's not the way that the economy, that's not the way anything works. But he's making promises he can't possibly keep because he's, he's founding the new Trump Workers' Party. And then there's Donald Trump mocking Bill Kristol. So Bill Kristol is the editor of the Weekly Standard. Bill Kristol was famously a proponent of the Iraq War. By the way, Donald Trump originally backed the Iraq War. Bill Kristol has also said we need to take a harder line with Iran. Donald Trump here is saying that anybody who is hawkish on foreign policy, all they really want to do is just kill people. And the reason that Bill Kristol doesn't like him is because Donald Trump doesn't want to kill people. So here's isolationist Donald Trump. He's a real lightweight. His name is Bill Kristol. From day one, this poor guy, this poor guy, I watch him. But here's what I don't understand. Why do you keep putting a guy on television that's been proven to be wrong for so many years? First of all, he wants the war in Iraq. He wants Iraq. All the guy wants to do is kill people and go to war and kill people, even though he knows it's not working, although he doesn't know because he's not smart enough. But it started, and I was against the war in Iraq, let me tell you. And I am a tough cookie, and we're going to have the biggest, strongest, most powerful military, and nobody's going to mess with us. Nobody. Nobody is going to mess with us. But I, I just happened to see this guy in one of the shows the other day, Bill Crystal, he's got some magazine, I don't even know what the hell it is, and, and he's saying, oh, we're looking for another candidate. We're looking, we're looking. He's sweating, he's sweating, and he's, we're looking for another candidate. Here's a guy that said Trump isn't going to run. If he runs, he's not going to do well. He's going to be out by September. Uh, you know, he forgot one thing. He forgot to ask my friends and he forgot to ask the people that know me because those are the people that said we're going all the way. Okay. Okay, so it's just, this is Trump. And I get it. It's lies on top of lies here in terms of, in terms of the Iraq war. He didn't oppose the Iraq war, certainly not in any loud fashion before the Iraq war. The idea that everybody who is in favor of the Iraq war just wants to see people killed, which is what he says about Crystal Max. He says Crystal just wants to see people die. That's really all he wants. This is what you're signing up for. You're signing up for this wrapped in the flag. So I guess it's the idea is that wrapping yourself in the flag is a good thing and that the flag is a good thing. I agree. The flag is a good thing. What isn't a good thing is bad ideas wrapping themselves in the flag. And Donald Trump is a guy who is a bundle of bad ideas. He's a bundle of bad ideas wrapped up in, in a veneer of patriotism. And that, to me, is actually more troubling than, than even the, the anti-flag nonsense of Obama and Hillary. You know, Obama and Hillary don't like any of, the, any of this stuff, right? They're not America first people. 
I don't think Trump is an America first person in any real sense either. I think that he's an America first person in the sense that he thinks that what happens in the country matters more than what happens abroad. But I don't think that he's an American first person in that he believes in American principles. I really don't think that that's true. So, you know, that, that's, that's the choice that's on people's hands. And I understand, as I've said before, I understand. I get it. If you say, every day I say this, this is now the official Ben Shapiro show disclaimer. If you say that you're voting for Donald Trump because he's not Hillary Clinton, but you see what a bad guy he is, I'm okay with that. I can deal with that. You and I can be friends. We can, we can agree to disagree. If you start talking about Trump as though he's somebody who's praiseworthy or trustworthy, or Donald Trump is going to be the savior of the country, or Donald Trump is going to come into office and he's not going to pervert conservatism in any way, and the thousands of people who show up to his rallies buying into this mumbo-jumbo, that those people are not going to see conservatism as something that it's not, at least acknowledge the risks. At least acknowledge the risks of, of what is happening here. But all of that said, Trump is very good at this. And if you have to handicap this race right now, you have to assume that if the race continues to go like this, then Hillary has a lot of problems. One of those problems, by the way, is Hillary herself. There was this meme, this web ad that was going around, and nobody seems to be able to identify the source of this web ad, um, but it's really, it, it's, it's this ad, and if you can't see this, folks, this is why you need to subscribe to Daily Wires. This is actually two separate ads. Okay, the ad on the left is a stock photo of a guy who I would like to describe as Beardy McHipster. And Beardy McHipster over here is kind of smoldering into the camera. He's got a big beard, and he looks like a lumbersexual, and he's got these sleeve tattoo. And it says, I'm with her. I am man enough to vote for a woman. Hash, are you? Hashtag man enough for Hillary. Right? This is what Hillary's campaign, and, and some people in Hillary's campaign apparently were, were tweeting this out. We're still trying to verify where this originally came from. Right? And, and a couple of problems with it. Number one, this guy's a stock photo. And because he's a stock photo, that means he's also appeared on a syphilis ad in Portland, which is real awkward. So Hillary and syphilis, the gift that keeps on giving. Um, but second of all, Hillary's so bad at this, she's alienating the very people that she's attempting to draw, right? The, if you really want to draw men, the last thing you want to do is gelb them. The last thing you want to do is make them feel emasculated. There's not a man alive, not a man alive, who goes around saying, you know what I really want? I want a woman to call me not enough of a man if I don't do what she says. Right? That, that really makes me feel like a real man down deep is when a woman orders me around and then if I refuse to obey, she says, well, that's probably because you're a big pansy. Yeah, that, that doesn't work. So Hillary's really bad at this. Trump could very easily win this race just because Hillary is so bad at this. Now, that said, the polls in the swing states don't particularly show this. They don't show Trump making inroads in Ohio. They don't show Trump making inroads in, for example, Wisconsin or Michigan or Pennsylvania, all areas where he's supposed to be doing well. But he's running a much better campaign than she is just on any objective level at this point, even if I think that his fundamental principles are deeply flawed. Okay, time for some things I like. Uh, well, one thing I like, one thing I hate, and then the mailbag. So we've been doing children's movies that I like. And this one, we go all the way back to 1947. This is Pinocchio, which is probably the greatest animated film ever made. And the, the opening scene alone, the animation, the opening scene, because this is frame-by-frame frame animation. This is when they were doing it frame-by-frame. Frame. It's, it's, it's a beautifully animated film, obviously, it is an intense film. I mean, this is not for really little kids. There's there's a lot there that's scary. Lampwick turning into a donkey is kind of scary. Uh, the Stromboli is scary. The the whale is scary. There, it's it's not for kids who are who are younger than seven, but for kids who are older than seven, it's great. And it shows you that back in the day, this was considered you know good children's entertainment. It's a lot scarier than a lot of the stuff that kids would watch today. It also has principles and morals. So there is a song. I've mentioned this people in the office. So Lindsay's already nodding because she knows where I'm going with this. There's a song in, in Pinocchio where Jiminy Cricket is singing to Pinocchio about you become a, the way you become a real boy. The whole, the whole movie is about 
how you become a moral human being, right? You want to be a real boy, you have to be responsible for yourself and you have to make moral decisions, moral decisions. And so Jiminy Cricket comes along and the Blue Fairy says he's going to be Pinocchio's conscience. And so here's the song he sings about what you have to do if you want to, if you want to become a real boy, basically. Now, you see, the world is full of temptations. Temptations? Yep, temptations. They're the wrong things that seem right at the time. But uh, even though the right things may seem wrong sometimes, uh, sometimes the, the wrong things <laughs> may be right at the wrong time or uh, vice versa. <laughs> Understand? Uh-uh. But I'm going to do right. boy, Pinocchio. And I'm going to help you. And any time you need me, you know, just whistle. Like this. Like this? No, no. Try it again, Pinocchio. Like this? No, son. Now listen. That's it. Come on now. Let's sing it. When you get in trouble and you don't know right from wrong, give a little whistle, give a little whistle. When you meet temptation and the urge is very strong, give a little whistle, give a little whistle. Not just a little squeeze, pucker up and blow. And if your whistle's weak, yell, Jiminy Cricket, right. Take the straight and narrow path, and if you start to slide, give a little whistle. Give a little whistle. And always let your conscience be your guide. Okay, so that's the morality of the United States when this movie comes out, right? And when this movie comes out, the morality of the United States is keep on the straight and narrow path, avoid temptation. If temptation should strike, then always let your conscience be your guide. Don't do what's always feeling good. Right? That, that's the morality that they're teaching to kids now. Now, here's the most popular kids movie from today. The most popular kids movie from today is Frozen. And I hate Frozen. I think Frozen is a bad... Uh, first of all, I think it's just a bad movie. I mean, the animation's beautiful, but that's a given. And the technology's good now. I think it's a bad movie. I think the plot is bad. I think it doesn't make any sense. But beyond that, the morality that is promulgated in Frozen... The most popular song from this, from this movie is Let It Go, right? This is the one everybody sings. Adina Menzel is singing this, or as John Travolta calls her, Adam McAleaf, Akalikalu. Um, and uh, and she, she sings the part of Ilsa. Now, of course, the, the gay left wants to make Ilsa a lesbian because it was funny. When this movie came out, there were a few commentators who said that this whole movie was basically supposed to be a gay metaphor. It was supposed to be, and, and there's, I don't think it's totally out of the realm of possibility, given the fact that the movie opens basically with this girl having issues, right, that are affecting her sister, and the parents literally lock her in a closet for 16 years, right? Literally. And she stays in the closet for 16 years, and then she comes out and she lets it go, right? So here's it, but here's the morality. Forget about whether it's that. So now the left is, it's always funny. The left always says, no, it's not about that. How, what are you thinking? You people are crazy. Now they're saying they want to make her a lesbian, of course. Uh, so in any case, the, the, but this song in particular drives me up a wall. And the reason it drives me up a wall is because of this particular lyric. And we'll play the lyric and you'll see the difference between Pinocchio, and, and maybe it's 1941 Pinocchio, between Pinocchio and, and Frozen. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break the No right, no wrong, no rules for me.
the animation's beautiful and all that. Okay, so th- there's that one line. Okay, there's the line. Did you hear it? Because everybody skips right over it because it's just a lyric and a song, right? No right, no wrong, no rules. I'm free. Right now, contrast that. Pinocchio's 1940. Contrast that with Pinocchio, which is now 76 years ago. In, in 1940, kids in America were being taught temptation is not what you should be going for. You should be thinking about what's right. You should be thinking about what your conscience would say. Now it's, I'm free, I'm a better person, I'm strong if I pay no attention to the rules. No right, no wrong. There's no such thing as right. There's no such thing as wrong. It's basic moral relativism, right? Back in 1940, make sure that you do what's right, right? Pinocchio says, I want to do what's right. And Jiminy Cricket says, that's the way, Pinocchio. Now it's, there's no such thing as right. Right doesn't exist. Wrong doesn't exist. All that, there's no rules. It's just whatever makes me feel good about me. This is why America's dying. This right here is why America's dying because these are both taught to kids. These are both taught to kids. But if you taught the messages of Pinocchio to kids today, that would be considered intolerant and nasty and closed-minded because who knows? Maybe Pinocchio's idea of what's right is not your idea of what's right. Instead, we should all just follow our instinct. We should all just follow temptation to wherever it leads and then we'll all be happier. We should never contain ourselves. Now, there are people who would say about Frozen, okay, Ilsa ends up being basically wrong and she has, to, she has to learn to control her powers. Okay, but that's not the point. None of these kids are going to be singing those songs. The only song the kids sing is this one. Let It Go is the most popular song for kids in America and it has, one of the, it has the Lady Gaga message, right? I was born this way. I'm on the right track because I was born this way. This is the new morality. The new morality is my biology says do it. Temptation says do it. There's no such thing as right or wrong. I feel free because I don't have to pay attention to those stodgy old rules that make sure that we can all operate with each other in a decent society, those stodgy old rules that make sure that we don't hurt each other or mistreat each other. So that's the thing I hate. The thing I like, Pinocchio, the thing I hate, Frozen. Okay, time for some entries from the mailbag. And we do have a chock-full mailbag. Reminder, if you subscribe through dailywire.com to this podcast, aside from seeing this beautiful face, you also get to email me and you get first priority in the mailbag. So Austin writes, Hey, Ben. I was reading your article, it's textbook discrimination to force employers to violate their religious principles, hire the mentally ill. I got to the part where you state it's downright fascistic. I use the Mac OS X's dictionary to define fascistic. It states having or relation to extreme right-wing, authoritarian, or intolerant views or practices. What do companies like Apple have to gain from playing a word game being the most valuable brand in the world? Well, I mean, it's not that they have anything to gain. It's that Apple is staffed entirely by leftists, and the way that they input the dictionary definition is a left way, right? The typical leftist thought has been fascism is of the left. Jonah Goldberg has a fabulous book called Liberal Fascism, specifically about this. Fascism is is not a is not a it's not an element that is restricted to the right. Hitler was was a socialist. He's closer to Bernie Sanders than he was to than he is to Donald Trump. Uh, Trump is closer to Bernie Sanders, by the way, than he is to Ted Cruz. So the, fascism tends to be an element of of the left, specifically because the right is defined at least conservatives, normal conservatives, not reactionary right. I mean, there, there are a bunch of different variables here. But when I say right, what I mean is traditional conservatism. Traditional conservatism is defined by a small state. It's defined by the idea that the state should not intervene in things unless there are externalities, unless some third party is being impacted. The state should basically stay out of it, and social institutions should ensure that the social fabric became, remains rich and that we're tied together. Ben writes, I was wondering two things. First, do you do the show in one take? And do you do it extemporaneously or do you write some of it out first? Okay, Ben, so here's the deal. Yes, it's all one take. And um, I do do it extemporaneously. The only stuff that I ever write is the monologue at the very beginning. So that's, that's written out usually. But most of the rest of the show is, is totally extemporaneous. Luke writes, hey, Ben, what's your stance on minimum wage? Is a minimum wage even necessary? I've watched a majority of your speeches and TV appearances on YouTube. I've yet to read any of your books. 
which one would you recommend first? Well, the first book I'd recommend you read of mine is Bullies. Uh, that's the one that, that is the most popular anyway, and it sort of states my fundamental philosophy of politics, which is bullies need to be fought, and bullies are the people who call the guns when they don't get their political way. Those are, those are the bullies. As far as my stance on minimum wage, no, you don't need a minimum wage. All minimum wage is, it's a way for the government to prevent two consenting people from entering into a contract. Understand, every job is me entering into a contract with somebody else, and that person has to agree to enter into the contract with me. I don't think any third party has the moral right to intervene in that deal any more than I think that a third party has a moral right to establish a maximum wage. I don't think the government should make a minimum wage or a maximum wage. I think the government should stay out of it. I get to sign a deal because I'm a free person. You're a free person. We get to do that together. Anne writes, I feel a little clueless, Ben. Can you explain what you mean specifically when you use the verb trolling? I'm a new subscriber. Love the podcast with a view. Okay, and when I use the word trolling, and I used it a couple of days ago, trolling is, the, is this phenomenon where you say something deliberately provocative just to elicit a response from the other side. Right? You do something a little bit crazy, a little bit out there, just to drive the other side nuts. That's trolling. So if you're a real troll, then you spend all your time kind of insulting people on Twitter because you're hoping they're going to respond, and this makes you feel good about yourself. The entire alt-right is a bunch of trolls. So these are people who just throw out anti-Semitic, racist, stupidity, and then, they, and then when you say, God, that's pretty terrible what you're saying, they go, ah, ha, 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 I've got you now. This just proves that you think everybody's a racist or an anti-Semite. It just proves that you care about these things. And the answer is yes, and you're an a-hole, right? So, yeah, so tro trolls are, are uh, that's what, what a troll is. Okay, Eric writes, hey, Ben, I'm also 32. I agree with most everything you say. It's nice to see someone our age standing up for conservative principles. It doesn't happen much, especially up here in Seattle. I read your article on why you wouldn't support a conservative third party run, but I'm a huge fan of Romney. Not only would he pull support from Hillary and Trump, he could win states like Utah, Idaho, and maybe a few others. Do you see any scenario where conservatism is better off coalescing around Romney than waiting four years? Okay, Eric, so I wrote a column and I talked about on the show all the various reasons why I don't think a third party run would be useful. Most of those reasons are tied to the fact that it wouldn't be successful. So if Romney were to vote, were to run third party, I would vote for him. I would vote for him over both Hillary and over Trump, and it would be an easy call. I would lose no sleep whatsoever over voting for, for Mitt Romney. If Mitt Romney is the margin of loss for Donald Trump, however, you can guarantee that all of the people in the Republican Party are going to blame the conservatives for having thrown the election from Donald Trump to Mitt Romney, uh, and therefore you know, they're going to insist that they come back around the next time around and, and browbeat everybody. So again, if Romney were to decide to jump in, I wouldn't oppose it for sure. Do I think from scratch it's a great idea to run a third-party candidate? I don't, because I think the opposition to Trump is, is, and the opposition to Hillary is stronger than any one candidate, and I think it's kind of difficult to coalesce around any one guy. Uh, and, and this is certainly true of Romney. I mean, I, listen, I didn't even support Romney in the primaries in 2012. Right? So I would back him against these other two, but as I've said before in a different context, I would, blaming, I would, I would back a flaming bag of, of dog feces against either one of these two options. Nicole writes, my sister is facing overwhelming pressure to be liberal since she's a physics professor, which is, by the way, that, that in and of itself is hilarious. Why physics professors should be facing pressure to be lefty is beyond me. I don't understand why the speed of objects falling and rising, you know, why friction, I don't understand why any of that has to do with politics, but the left, basically what you really mean is your sister's a professor, so she's getting pressure. So, she, so, so despite being a moderate conservative, she's now voting for Bernie. Woo. As much as I desperately want her to see reason, I'm worried I will beat her over the head with logic and facts instead of gently persuading her. Is there a nice way to undo liberal brainwashing? Also, it's nice to have your show to remind me I'm not crazy. It's everyone else that lost their mind. Okay, so thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, the, the way to talk to family members, you have to talk to them on their own level. Some people are open to talk. Some people aren't. 
If it's a waste of time to talk, don't bother. You know, browbeating people doesn't help on a one-to-one level. When it comes to talking with her, if you can't use facts and reason, then there's not really much to talk about. This person is so emotionally tied into the system that you're going to have a rough time of it. You know, the, the real way to argue with the Bernie Sanders crowd is to say what you are saying is fundamentally immoral. You don't get to steal money from other people just because they have more of it than you do. It's fundamentally immoral. Bernie Sanders' view of life is immoral, it's cruel, it's evil. And it requires vast government centralization and the use of the government gun in order to take things that aren't yours. That's what Bernie Sanders is about. I mean, that's the moral case. Uh, that said, it's very difficult to talk with family members. You, you sort of have to determine whether they're open to reason or whether they're not. If they're not open to reason, don't waste your time. Just go see a movie instead. Aaron writes, do you watch Game of Thrones? No, I started watching Game of Thrones, and then it turns out that the, that the pornography of it sort of alienated me. I've read all the books. Um, it's, the, the books are, are, the first three, well, let's say this. One is good. One is very good. Two is weak. Three is, is good again. And then the rest of the series is just awful, awful. So I'm, I, I do follow the recaps of the shows online, mainly because I don't feel like waiting for the next 87 years for George R.R. R. Martin to bring out his next 800-page monstrosity. So I read the recaps of the show because it's ahead of the books now. But, you know, I, I find George R.R. R. Martin's universe uh, really nihilistic. Uh, I understand people die. I, I understand good people get killed. I, understand, I, I, I totally get all of this. I don't need it to... The point of fiction is that I trust the creator of the fiction to bring me to a place I want to go, right? This is the same reason that, that religious people are religious. We trust that God eventually is going to bring us where we want to go, even if we can't see it right now. If you're just going to tell me that life is empty and horrible and all the people that I like die, yeah, I know that already. I don't need to, I don't need to spend time with the people just so that you can kill them off all the time. Like, I'm fine with you want to kill... Like, when they killed off... In the first book, when they kill off Ned Stark, I was like, okay, that's, that's creative and interesting because you never see a main character just get killed off like that. When they killed Rob, I was out. I was like, okay. I mean, I read it, but come on. And then they killed Rob, and then they, and then they killed... Jon Snow, but they brought Jon Snow back, and uh, whatever, whatever. I, I think that it, it started off with a great premise, and, and I understand the premise is anyone can die at any time. That's all fun and games unless you kill everyone worth rooting for, and I end up rooting for Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton in Game of Thrones. Right? It turns out the Lannisters against the, against the, the, the Sand Sisters is not a, a whole lot of, lot of fun. I, I'm not that interested in that particular battle, so I, I'd much rather have a hero at some point in the story. Tyler writes, at what point, if, all, if at all, should the right embrace protectionist foreign policy with entities like China? Aren't trade deficits a bad thing? How can the free market remedy this? Okay, trade deficits are not a bad thing. I have a trade deficit with my grocery store. That doesn't mean it's bad. All a trade deficit means, when you're talking about private parties, trade deficit, all that means is I'm buying stuff from people and they're selling me stuff. That's what a trade deficit is. It doesn't mean I'm poor. It doesn't mean they're rich. Right? The fact is that you can have a trade surplus and be wildly poor. This happens all the time. Most of Latin America had a trade surplus, but Venezuela has a trade surplus, last I checked, because they don't produce and because they, because they don't have the ability to buy anything. Some of the richest times in American history, we've had a trade deficit. Some of our poorest times, we've had a trade surplus. As far as using protectionism as foreign policy, this is an actual argument. Like, should we have tried to collapse the Chinese state back in the 1970s by jacking up the tariffs and crippling their economy? There's a case to be made on a moral level for that, but certainly not on an economic level. Okay, finally, Leon writes, Hi, Ben. What do you think are potential solutions for the housing crisis in L.A.? Many of my leftist friends are advocating for removal of the Ellis Act to solve it. I think that's an absurd idea, but what are your thoughts? Okay, so I will admit I don't know much about the Ellis Act, so I'll just answer the general question, which is potential solutions for the housing crisis. Number one, 
the ho- there's no housing crisis in L.A. All that's happening is there's a shortage of supply and there's too much demand and there aren't enough jobs. That's all that's happening right now. The answer is that if you want housing, pr- I assume you're saying you want housing prices to go down. If you want housing prices to go down, you have to get rid of, what, rid of whatever rent control restrictions there are in the city of Los Angeles. You have to loosen some of the zoning restrictions. You have to allow people to rent out their garages, for example, so that they can use that as, as a, a guest house. And you also have to just get rid of building restrictions as a general matter. You increase supply, in other words. Make it easier for people to, to supply housing, and the prices will fall. Texas is not having a problem with massive real estate bubbles because everybody can just move to the middle of nowhere and build stuff. So New York has a problem. L.A. has a problem. Chicago has a problem. Get rid of the restrictions, and you'll get rid of the housing crisis. You also have to get rid of some of the business regulations so that people can actually work and be hired and make money. So, all right, we've reached the end of another week. Hope you have a wonderful weekend, and we will be back here on Monday for more celebration of the... Well, actually, sorry. No, no, no. Monday's a holiday. Monday's a holiday. So we'll be back here on Tuesday. It's a long weekend, I know. Don't worry. We'll be back here on Tuesday to make it up to you because we love you. And subscribe at dailywire.com. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.